Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. What's happening? Nothing. Yeah, well, good to see y'all. I'm glad to see your shining, smiley faces. Some of y'all need to remind your face that you are in the house of the Lord, and it is joyful. Um, glad that you are here, though. What's going on? Uh, if you have your Bible, flip over to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to go back to the beginning to talk a little bit about uh, this foundational gospel truth as we're going through this series that we call Say What? Um, we're calling it that, calling it Say What, because uh, we're really looking at and discussing the weird things Christians say. Now, not all the weird things Christians say, because we, Christians say a lot of weird stuff. Uh, we're talking about the main weird things that we've been saying, really, over the last couple of years, as we've been reorienting our church and our minds and our lives and our hearts around the gospel and around the Great Commission. Um, and we've been, so we, we've got some words that we've said that have been strange, maybe mysterious, or some phrases that just kind of roll off the stage on the regular basis, but we haven't taken a, the proper amount of time to explain what they mean and why they matter for your life uh, as somebody who is either uh, considering seeking God uh, or a follower of Jesus or maybe an outright rejecter. Um, this would be kind of a look for you into the, into the lens of what it looks like to have a relationship with God and what that means and why that matters for you even this day and age. And so we're going to be looking at something here. We get to Genesis chapter 1 while you're turning over there. By the way, if you can't find Genesis chapter 1, it's the first page of your Bible. So I uh, just wanted to help you out right there at the beginning. Uh, a couple of things I want to mention to you, though, is a, we had a kind of a church-wide cleanup day yesterday, but you probably, when you came on campus, you probably didn't see anything different, and there's a reason why. Um, the reason why we had this church-wide cleanup day yesterday was to do the things that nobody really notices, um, like cleaning the baseboards, washing the windows, doing all the stuff that, you know, you just overlook and you don't think about. There was about 35 to 40 people that showed up to help us to be a part of that yesterday, and would you just join me in celebrating them for them coming out to be a part of that? So we did all kind of really obscure things that needed to be done and had been overlooked forever around here. And so I'm grateful for that small army of volunteers that showed up to make it happen. It was great to get to spend some time with you. I'm just kind of off of the, the weekend carousel to get to spend a little one-on-one -on -one time and, and um, watch you guys work while I took pictures. So no, I'm just kidding. I, I did a little bit. If you notice how clean the windows are, I had very little to do with it. Okay. Turned, come to find out I was using the wrong cleaning agent the whole time, and I was like greasing the windows up. So just don't look at the windows. We tried. Um, hey, uh, Pastor Cam is actually out today because he is uh, speaking at one of the other Abide churches. So we always want to celebrate that. He's down in Lake Placid preaching at South Oak, definitely a church that we have a really close partnership with. Um, that's where Pastor Keith is. He's led you in worship a couple of times. He and his wife were interviewed, and we had an adoption weekend. You got to hear from them. They have like eight or nine adopted children, um, all of which have special needs, uh, substantial special needs. And so it's pretty cool uh, to have that partnership with South Oak. Cam's down there preaching. He's probably wrapping up his second sermon as we speak. So be praying for him just as we're having our time together uh, this morning. Um, so the reason why we landed here in Genesis chapter one, because the conversation today in our Say What series 
um, is based around the phrase and the concept that we say a lot around here. We said it the most probably during the Gospel and Politics series. Um, but this idea of being an image bearer of God or being image bearers or bearing the image of God, like we, we say that a lot. Um, and when we refer to uh, different people groups during that Gospel and Politics series, we refer to them as image bearers. And so it's like you hear us say that from time to time, but what in the world does that mean and why does that matter uh, for a Christ follower in the 21st century? Um, why does that matter for our everyday ordinary lives? Like I'm going to take some time to explain what it is, what it means, why it happened, why God did it. Um, and then when we get to the end, I'm going to get like some just really raw, practical, bare bones, perhaps even bare knuckles, practical conversation about why that matters for us, um, for those of you that follow Jesus. But the big part of being an image bearer of God that we really need to wrap our minds around first is like this is a core foundation, foundational identity of, of everybody, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. Before you were anything else, you were an image bearer of God. And this is where that comes from. Some of you guys will recall the creation story, even if you haven't read it before. But on day six, when God created humanity, this is the conversation that happened in heaven. Then God said, verse 26 of chapter one, then God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Say likeness. Yeah, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock, over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And all of the fishermen and hunters out there said, amen. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And male and female, he created them. All in the image of God. Uh, I don't really have to even tell you the Hebrew words in the creation story for you to understand the magnitude and the drastic shift that happens in God's language as he is speaking these things throughout Genesis chapter one. Those of you that haven't even read the creation story are probably even still familiar with the language of the creation story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And day one, he said, let there be light. And day two, three, four, five, he said, let there be, let there be, let there be, let there be. And at the, each, at the end of each one of those days, let there be earth, let there be sky, let there be heavens, let there be vegetation, let there be animals. At the end of each day, he would saw what he created and he looked at it and he said, this is good. But interestingly enough, like day one, two, three, four, five is let there be, let there be, let there be, let there be. And day six comes around and then he says, let us make. You see the difference? Do you feel the difference? God had created everything in existence. The intricacies of the heavens and the stars and the planets, the intricacies of the earth and animals and the ocean, and he had created everything by saying, let there be, he never even lifted a finger. He just declared life into those things and they happened. He just, he just said, without even getting up off of his throne, he just said, let there be light, let there be earth. He declared it with the sound of his voice, but when, his, when it was time, when his heart was so moved that everything is good, but I think it can be better. And he said, you know what, let us make mankind in our image. He doesn't say, let there be. He got up off of his throne and he said, let us make. It wasn't just the sound of his voice he was going to create human life with. He put his hands on it. He put his heart into it. He breathed his life into it. 
And that matters for two big reasons, which we'll kind of tease out throughout the variety of things we'll talk about in this conversation. Reason number one, reason number one, uh, we need to be reminded when God created us in his image that you and I aren't the point. He is. Period. And anytime we get those things flip-flopped, that's when our life starts going off the rails. You and I aren't the point. He is. We were created to be image bearers of the Most High God. In other words, we were created to be the reflection of his perfection. And yeah, we've done an imperfect job at that, but that was the point. He was the point. We weren't. And I tell you, your life starts going off the rails when you get those flipped around when you become the point and he ain't. Your marriage starts to go off the rails when your marriage becomes the point and he ain't. Your parenting goes off the rails when you get the idea. You want to know where your relationship started to unravel? If you could trace it back to the point where that relationship became the point and he wasn't is when it started to unravel. Because we will always fall off the rails. This, this is the most foundational this is the most foundational identity of who we are as human beings, whether you believe in God or not. Before you were anything else, before you believed anything else, before you became anything else, before you desired anything else, you were made in the image of God. So when we drift away from that and we decide, well, my future is the point, my retirement is the point, this relationship is the point, my kids are the point, and he ain't, it's going to fall off the rails. This is how it works, because this is our identity. This is how we were created. We were created to be image bearers of God, whether we like it or not. It's something we didn't ask for it. We didn't grow up into it. We didn't believe our way into it. You were just born that way. Imperfect, yes, but you were born that way as image bearers of God. This is a second reason. We'll tease this out, too, later in the conversation. This one's really important as well, because like, we are so confused this day and age. We have lost our minds. We go back to this creation story and we get to see this second very important truth that he has placed value and dignity on humanity, value and dignity on humanity far above anything else in all of creation. Let that resonate in your dome for just a second. He has placed value and dignity on humanity far above anything else in all of his creation. And you need to know that when humanity gets this one flipped around, it's when humanity goes off the rails. When we start to place our value and dignity on things other than humanity, then humanity itself goes off the rails. Why? Because it is a foundational part of our identity, the very nature of how we were created as human beings. You wonder why we are in such chaos in the world we lived in? Because we have drifted away from the point of origin of realizing that he is the point and we are not. That the greatest value that God placed on everything he created was on us. We need to be reminded. When we drift away from that, everything starts to fall apart. Now, when God says these words, he, he says it in a strange way. Uh, and it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. So let's talk about that for just a second. It says that, God said on day six, he didn't say let there be life in humanity. He says let us make life. Let us make humanity, man, in our image. Who's us? Who's our? There's a couple of different schools of thought on this. 
uh, one, one, of the, one of the ideas, one of the theories that wraps around uh, who the us and who the our is, is this divine counsel theory. Like God in heaven looked out amongst heaven and said, man, things are working out pretty well around here. And to, to the spirits and angels of heaven, he declared, hey, you know what? Let's make people down there that are kind of like us up here. Let us make man in our image. That's, that's kind of this divine counsel theory. Now, uh, I will say that maybe they're right. Probably not. There's yet another theory that we ascribe to. This is part of our theology as a church. Uh, matter of fact, you just sang about it. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. We believe of, of God in three persons. That it is one God displaying himself through God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We call that the Trinity when you hear us use those terms. Uh, we believe as well as most evangelical, orthodox, Bible-believing people uh, believe that that is the case. When he said, let us make man in our image, they were standing around the craftsmanship table of heaven in the boardroom of heaven, and God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit said, man, everything we've created thus far is good, but we can do better, so let's make man in our image. And when he did, they said, man, this is very, very, very good. He created us to be the reflection of his perfection. We were the only thing, one reason why, I mean, a big reason why he placed value and dignity upon us and everything else is there was nothing else in creation that would display what he was like to the world that he had created. Animals couldn't do it. Trees couldn't do it. The ocean couldn't do it. So he made us in his likeness, in his image, that we might be the display to the world of what the perfection of God is like. But what in the world does that mean to be made in the image of God and his likeness? Like, did he make us to look like him? Does he look like us? Like, what we do know is that God is spirit. The Holy Spirit is spirit, because it's in his name, just in case you didn't catch that. God the Son put on human flesh and moved into the neighborhood for a while, so we kind of have an idea of what he looks like, even though it's probably not like the picture that's at your grandma's house. But he put on flesh, he put on skin, Listen, God creating us and making us in his image and in his likeness had very little to do with his physical attributes and more to do with his communicable attributes. In other words, like his love, his compassion, his mercy, his intellect, his integrity, his morality, like who he was to be displayed through a portion of creation that he called humanity, that we would be the perfect expression of his perfection. And quite honestly, it worked pretty well for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, as far as I can tell. Everything was just fine. Humanity was the perfect expression of the perfection of God to all of creation, took dominion, named everything, a beautiful expression to all creation that there was one being that ruled and reigned higher than the rest, and it was humankind. And they were the expression of God to the world, and then before you know it, old Slippery Serpent shows up on the scene. He goes by the name, the devil, Satan. He showed up on the scene and he convinced humanity that they needed to step beyond God's perfectly divine created order because there was something that God had left out that they needed. And so he drops down a piece of forbidden fruit in front of them and tries to convince them through a series of lies that they need to eat this forbidden fruit. Do you remember the lie that like pushed humanity over the edge and they decided, all right, we're going to do it. 
You remember the lie? He, he told three lies. The first lie was just a lie of deceit. Satan shows up to Eve and says, did God really tell you that you ain't supposed to eat from the fruit of the tree of the garden? She says, oh, no, no, we, we can eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. We just can't eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden. That's all. No big deal. Or we're going to die, Eve says. God said it. We believe it. We live by it. And then Satan says, in verse 4 of chapter 3, you ain't going to die. You ain't going to die. But even that didn't push us over the edge. This is the one that got us. He says, you ain't going to die. But here's the deal. God knows, verse 5. God knows that once you eat of this so-called forbidden fruit, that you will be like him. Uh, is it just me? Or did Satan just tell us that the fruit was going to give us what we already were? Is it just me or did Genesis 1.26 says that we were made in the likeness of God? And now we got Satan over here saying, well, if you would just eat of the fruit, then you could be like God. And then we got interested all of a sudden. Isn't it just like Satan to tell you what sin offers, but conveniently forget to remind you of what God has already given? I'll say that again for the people in the back. Isn't it just like Satan to tell you what sin offers, but conveniently leave out the reminder of what God has already given? He had convinced them that eating the fruit would make them like God, but he failed to remind them that God had already made them in his likeness. What? Isn't it just like Satan to try to convince us to be what we already are? Try to convince us to get into a room that we are already in? And ever since then, we've been believing the same lies. We want love, we want hope, we want comfort, we want peace, we want joy, we want satisfaction. We want to be provided for, and so every piece of forbidden fruit that drops down in front of us that promises to meet those needs, we'll grab hold of it, forgetting because the enemy ain't going to remind us that even First Peter or 2 Peter 1.3 tells us that in him and in his divine power, we have everything that we need for life and godliness. I didn't make that up. 2 Peter 1.3. We're still believing the same lie of trying to become who we already are, get what we've already got in him. It can be found there. He is the provider of that. But yet we too, we step outside of the divine order and we think, man, if I can just get a hold of that piece of fruit right there, then finally I'd be satisfied in a way that I need. And once we take a bite of that fruit, we realize that something in us dies because we need some more and there just ain't enough out there to satisfy us. And it's this never-ending pursuit as we drift away from the point of origin of realizing that God is the point and we are not. And in him and his divine power, we have everything that we need for life and godliness. 
Satan doesn't like to remind us of what we've already been given. He just keeps promising us of what sin offers to us, and we keep taking the bait. And sure enough, once sin entered into the world, we messed it up quick. But it didn't change the simple fact that we were still image bearers of God. Imperfect, yes. We were now fractured. We were now distorted views of the perfection of God. But before we were anything else, we were image bearers, right? So we still love. Our love is just saturated with selfishness and hate has been sprinkled in. We still have intellect, but our intellect has been corrupted with lies. We still have morality. It's just been corrupted with impurity. You get it? We're still the image bearers of God. We still are the reflection to the world of what he is like. But we're an imperfect view. We're a broken view, an imperfect view on our best day. And yes, we really made a mess of things. But it's because before we were ever an imperfect view of the glory of God, we were made in his image. That drove him to do something wild and scandalous. It was the fact that we were made in his image that made him long to redeem us. In his opinion, it made us worthy of being redeemed because we're the only thing in all of the tapestry of creation that were image bearers of him. And so that's why God so loved the world. He so loved the world, he was so moved towards those who bore his image that he got up off of his throne, put on skin, moved into the neighborhood, lived a perfect life that none of us have been able to live and die to death we all deserve to pay a price for our sins that we would never be able to afford to pay. That's good news. And it all traces back to this foundational truth of your humanity. I'm not talking about your Christian walk. I'm talking about your humanity, that you are an image bearer of the most high God, and that moves him towards you in your life. That's why he loves and longs for you. That's why he wants to set you free and make you whole. That's why he wants you to find your hope and satisfaction in him, because you have been his from the beginning. You bear his very image to the world. But there's an important distinction we should probably make, though, while we're on the topic, because here in the good old Bible Belt South, we kind of get these two things confused, being image bearers of God and being children of God, and we kind of lump those in to being the same thing, but they're not. Everybody's an image bearer of God by the sheer fact that the hands of God fearfully and wonderfully wove them together in their mother's womb, Psalm 139. But contrary to what your grandmama said or your favorite country tunes, we are not all children of God. That's a whole nother ball of wax, my friend. We are all image bearers, but we are not all children of God. As a matter of fact, at the beginning of the book of John, this is how it's described. John chapter 1 verse 12 says this, but to all who did receive him, who's him? Receive who? Give me your best Sunday school answer. Anytime I ask you in church, who's him? You got a pretty good shot at saying Jesus. There you go. But to all who did receive him, who's him? Who believed in his name, whose name? He gave the right to become, become children of God. 
So no, we're not all God's children. We were all created from above. We were all made up in the heavenlies. The God of all creation decided to put you on the face of the earth. He decided to make you just like you. He wanted to express his image to the world through you. All your quirks and all your uniqueness, like it takes all of us. It takes an entire globe of image bearers to even scratch the surface of the complexity and all the layers of what God is. And so, yeah, you being you is an image bearer of God, but only those who would believe in what God did to fix this gap between us. When we fell off the rails, when we started to believe the lies of the enemy, like he had to step into our story to fix the gap between us, to pay the price for the sins that we had committed so that we could be made right with him. Yeah, we're still image bearers, broken and cracked and fragile at best, but to become children of God, we have to believe in his words and his work of what Jesus did for us on the cross. That was the only way to be made whole again, to be made restored again for our relationship with God to be right, just like it was back in the garden. And for those that do choose to believe, for those that do follow Christ, who confess him as Lord of their life, who believe in his words and his work, his death on the cross, his resurrection, the fact that he was enough to pay for your sins. It says in Colossians 3.10 that as believers in Christ now, check this out, as believers in Christ now, we have, we put off the old self, that broken, cracked, distorted view, that imperfect reflection of the perfection of God has been done away with, and you've been given a new self now, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. In other words, like, those places you felt comfortable in as an image bearer before you became a child of God? Those places you used to feel comfortable in when you were the old you? Now you just don't feel comfortable the same way. Because your mind is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of which you were created. You haven't done anything to do it. It's the life of the Holy Spirit of God that dwells within you that is making this transformation happen, but all of a sudden, like, those same kind of conversations don't just land the same way with you. Those same kind of places don't feel quite as comfortable with you because there's something happening inside of you. You've had so little to do with it. All you've done is come to Jesus, and now he's doing a work of transformation in your life. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, and as we grow in our faith, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That broken, cracked, distorted view that you and I have all been is slowly but surely being shaped into a clear view of the life of Jesus for the world to see. Not because you came to church and heard a sermon about, all right, now go live your lives for Jesus. Go be Jesus to the world. You make terrible Jesuses. Jesus is a really good Jesus, though. This is why he didn't leave us alone to try to figure out how to be him on earth. He gave us the gift of his Holy Spirit to come dwell within us so he could be him through us on earth. And this transformation that's happening in us has nothing to do with us learning out how to practice Christian behaviors. 
It's learning to believe the things that Jesus has said and done and learning to submit all the stuff of life to the leadership of Jesus. And slowly but surely, man, when you've, when you've been learning to submit and yield all the stuff of your life to the leadership of Jesus over 10, 15, 20, 30 years, yeah, your life starts to look a whole lot more like Jesus. You become a more perfect view, a more perfect image of the perfect one that created you as an image bearer. It's part of the love story of God at work in us. And for those of you that are children of God, that you do bear not only the image of Christ, but you bear the life of Christ within you because you've confessed him as Lord, you've received the gift of his salvation. Like, we need to get real, like, bare-knuckle practical about why that matters for you right now in real time. And there's only a million and a half things we could talk about as it comes to being image bearers and children of God, kind of all packaged into one and how that affects the way we view and see the world. But let me just hit a few of the hot topics to make sure we're at least starting on the same foundation. This is why, because as an image bearer and a child of God now, redeemed and saved by Christ, this is why there's no room whatsoever for Jesus followers to be involved in in any sort of way acts or conversations dealing with being racist, racism. Hear what I'm saying? Image bearers who are now children of God can't hate me because of my whiteness. Because they now realize that, man, I'm an image bearer of the Most High God. Whether you like me or not, whether you agree with me or not, whether my life looks like what you think it should look like, whether you like the way I talk or dress or act, bottom line is, for those who are in Christ, the color of my skin has been demoted in importance way down the list. The nationality I come from, there's no place within the kingdom of God for racism. Hating one another, discriminating each one another, speaking ill of one another because of race or nationality or family heritage or whatever. There's no place for it in the kingdom of God because in the kingdom of God, he is transforming us back into the perfection of his perfect reflection to the world, and there is no racism in the kingdom of heaven. As a matter of fact, the kingdom of heaven is a celebration of all the nations as we stand before Jesus and lift him up together in every tribe, tongue, and language. It's going to be a day that every knee will bow. And every time we'll confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I won't even notice what color you are. But heaven will celebrate our diversity because God is creative. This is why we don't show up in heaven all the same color. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 21. We show up very much looking like and even acting like the world we came from. I love the picture that one day there will be Kings of nations bringing strange offerings of worship before Jesus. We're going to be sitting there thinking, wow, that's weird. <laughs> but praise Jesus. This is why, as Christ followers who are not only image bearers, but now children of God, this is why there's no room for Jesus followers Look, leave your politics at the door. I can care less what y'all think about politics, to be honest with you. Y'all don't care what I think about politics unless I'm saying what you believe or don't believe. As an image bearer, with Christ at the center 
Like, this is why there is no room for Jesus followers to support, participate in any way, lobby for, financially support in any way abortion. Wait, wait, wait. I hear y'all. This is why. Because that child was not the result of God standing in heaven saying, let there be life. He said, let me make it in my image. And that child in the womb is an image bearer of God that has been fearfully and wonderfully woven together by the very hands of God. Psalm 139 says it so. That child is an image bearer of the king, created by the king in his design. Now listen, I recognize we live in a time, and I know that we have folks in our church that have made the decision to have an abortion or are considering having an abortion or are in close proximity of family or friends that chose to have an abortion. L let me just confess to you, while for some it is a very easy distinction to make some of you grew up in a world that has been preaching a sermon that's saying it's okay because it's your body, it's your choice, and it's hard to hear through that noise what is true and what isn't true. So maybe you made the decision fully knowing, maybe you made the decision fully knowing that you should not, you did it anyway, maybe you made the decision not knowing any better, but now you realize it, and like you're still continuing to carry the guilt and the shame and the memory of what happened. Like, let me just, as a commercial break, remind you that remember, even in our most broken state, that we are an imperfect, imperfect reflection of the image of God, the perfect image of God, and he thought you so worthy to come and redeem and restore you. Every sin, every failure, every wrong decision. I want you to know that like, that God longs to restore you, to transform you into the same image from one degree or another, to re renew your mind and the knowledge of the image of its creator. For those of you that have committed that, there is forgiveness. God can restore you completely, can heal you. I'm speaking to the one that's considering it. I'm speaking to the one that supports it. I'm speaking to the one that funds it. I'm speaking to one that's thinking about possibly that might be an option because I don't know what my options are. If you are a pregnant young woman, you don't know what to do. We have a ministry that we partner with called Choices that would lovingly come alongside you and help meet all those needs in, the, in those early childbearing years. We as a church want to participate in that as well. But like, listen, we live in a day and age that has got so confusing that we actually believe that sea turtle eggs are more valuable than unborn children. What? You just saw it. You just saw it. That everything else God created, sea turtles included, he said, let there be sea turtles. But then when he decided to create those babies, he said, let me make. And he did. And he said that it was very, very good. He placed a value and a dignity above humanity, above everything else that he ever created. Why did we get it backwards? Yeah, there's no room 
for those who are in Christ to participate in, support in any kind of way the murder of image bearers. There's more, though, of how it affects our right now lives. Um, man, so many more. Let me just hit another one since we're on a roll. Man, there's no room for Jesus followers who are not only image bearers of God, but now children of God. There's no room for those Jesus followers to feel comfortable in front of a computer screen watching pornography. Or sipping on that scissor in a couch in the club watching a girl strip on a pole. You hear what I'm saying? You just don't feel comfortable in that place anymore. You don't feel comfortable in front of that screen like that anymore. I ain't saying you don't struggle with it. Statistically speaking, over 51% of the men in the room are in an active relationship with porn, pastors included. That statistic is across all men, but I know pornography is not just a dude problem. It's also a lady problem as well. But I want you to know, as image bearers who are now children of God choosing Jesus as Lord, like you can't comfortably sit in front of that screen anymore as you objectify for the sake of your lust. An image bearer of God, a child that was fearfully and wonderfully made in his image to be a display to the world of what he is like, that is obviously in a very broken place, in a very broken and cracked and distorted view of who God is. Like you just can't look at that the same way Because that's another image bearer right there. Maybe you need to tell yourself that as you're clicking through the internet or flipping through your phone. That's another image bearer right there. I mean, we can't really talk about it to the guys without giving a nod to the girls like women. Like your, your value and dignity has been placed upon you by God as he has placed his image and this on you for the world to see. So I would be careful the kind of clothes that you buy and wear that's not just young ladies, that's any kind of ladies. If you're somebody that's selling lemonade, don't be advertising like you're selling Budweiser, you know what I'm saying? You're an image bearer of God. He saw, he, he saw you as so valuable, so worthy, that he fearfully and wonderfully created your life and all of its intricacies and all of its beauty and he laid upon you his image that the world might catch a glimpse of what he is like through your life. So don't dress it up in a way that's gonna draw people away from God. Look, I know it's the world we live in. I know it's tough. This isn't your preacher over here wagging a finger at y'all. I have lived most of what I would get up here and preach about. I'm not throwing daggers at you as if I'm some holy roller that's never done some of the things that I've discussed. Man, I've been there. I've done that. But the Lord continues to renew in my knowledge. He's renewing my knowledge after the image of its creator. He is transforming me as well into the same image from one degree to another. And I need to be reminded of what's right and what's true because the sermon you're hearing from the world is not telling you that. This is why as Jesus followers, we respect and we honor and we love every human being that we come in contact with regardless of race or nationality or socioeconomic status or sexual disposition. We value and we honor those people. I'm not saying we don't call sin, sin. I've just been doing it. I'm not saying that we 
and graft ourselves into the ways that the world thinks. No, no, no. But what I am saying is before we were any of this, we were image bearers of God. Before that person fell into their sin and in their darkness, they were an image bearer of God and they still are. And so we, as those who are in Christ Jesus, like we see the broken world around us for what it is. Broken and distorted views of the perfect image of God displayed. And it's the life of Christ within us that moves us towards them because just like God saw you as worthy of being redeemed, he sees them the same way. And so that tells me that the life of Christ dwells within me. Then I see all those other people that I don't feel comfortable with, that don't walk, talk, and act like me, that they too are image bearers of God that are worthy of being redeemed by him. That affects the way I think about them and the way I talk to them and the way I talk about them and the way I serve them when they come into my business and the way that I interact with them when I'm dealing with them in public. That actually might move me away from rejecting them outside of my home and having a conversation with them to get to know their name at a mailbox or maybe even, oh, this crazy idea, having them over for a family meal and sharing life with another image bearer in the hopes that one day they too might become a child of the God, of the King, of God our King. Man. We see the world for what it is. It's broken, but redeemable and worthy of being redeemed. You may not think so, but the Savior that rescued you sure did. Let's pray about that. Father, we, we need a lot of help with this one. Every one of us, from the person that's not a believer in Jesus to the lifelong Christ follower in this room, like we are just, man, we struggle with this one. We drift away from this identity. We, we allow our, our own selfishness and sinfulness to find its way into seeing the world around us for the identity the image bearers that they are. But Lord, as you are transforming us, as you are renewing in us the image of God that you long to display through us, Father, I pray that you would help us as Christ followers, those that are, Lord, that we would learn to submit all the stuff of life to the leadership of Jesus. That truly, like the, the, the fragmented views of your perfection that we offer from time to time that throughout our lives, God, I just submit us to you that you would continue to shape us and transform us into the perfect view that we once were back in the garden. Lord, I know that you long to display your life through your people. And whatever you, whatever you long to do throughout the world, God, I pray that you would do it here with us. Lord, I pray that you would display the perfect life of Christ through the way we love and lead and sacrifice and serve, the way we parent, the way we husband, the way we wife, the way we run away from sin, the way we encourage one another, the way we hold one another accountable. God, display yourself through us. Thank you for counting us worthy, but you are the worthy one. You are worthy of our whole lives being laid down for your will and your ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.